Chasers are Pacific Coast League champions. You're listening to the Stormcast, a podcast from the Omaha Storm Chasers. Here are your hosts, Jake Eisenberg and Tony Boone. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Stormcast. Thanks for listening and joining us. Last week's episode with Nikki Lopez was great. If you hadn't had the chance to listen to it yet, we talked about his MLB debut, his time in Omaha with the Storm Chasers, and at Creighton, and a ton more. And I'm really excited about this week's guest, too, Tony. And frankly, I mean, we couldn't have timed it better. Yeah, for sure. Uh, having Jim Callis on to break down the MLB draft right before it happens is perfect for episode two, timing-wise. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Jim, he's a senior writer at MLB Pipeline and has been for a while. He's covered the MLB draft and uh, baseball prospects overall for about 30 years. And uh, a lot of people around here know him because he started covering the College World Series for Baseball America um, right after he got out of college. And uh, safe to say he's an authority on both the draft and on the College World Series. And he knows more about Omaha than basically any national guy I can think of. So uh, perfect for what we have coming up here with the with the draft right around the corner. Yeah, he had some really great insight. And also a few Omaha recommendations, too, that, that I've written down and plan on following through on when I finally get out to Omaha. Um, but with Jim, we talked about the changes that have been made to the MLB draft this year, what the Royals' strategy might be, really interesting stuff, players to watch. And also, of course, the draft's future in Omaha was supposed to be there this year. You know, next year, 2021, will be when the draft officially comes to Omaha and, and a ton more after that. Uh, now, Tony, one of the interesting things that Jim brought up during our conversation was the fact that undrafted free agents won't be able to sign for more than $20,000. Teams are restricted from offering more than $20,000, which kind of makes things kind of level across the board, you know, money-wise. And at least for me personally, I'm really interested to see what happens with undrafted free agents that have multiple offers of that max $20,000? Basically, like, where do they decide to go? Because if money's not a factor, what are you looking at? You're looking at kind of what that organization can offer you. And I think with what we saw this past week with what the Royals pledged to do and Dayton Moore's comments about the importance of minor league baseball and minor leaguers growing the game, I feel like it makes that all that more important in terms of, like, you know, presenting your organization as a place that you want to be. Well, I think the good thing that the Royals have going for them is the fact that alumni from the organization talk really highly about the organization. There's a real reason why the Royals were able to get to -to back-to-back World Series and win a world championship. And it wasn't just because they had the best players. Um, If you go back uh, to when Dayton first started here, it was all about building the culture, getting the right kind of players. And I know the Royals uh, player development staff, um, has been consistent throughout this entire time with trying to build the right culture and not only getting good players, but getting players of high character. And you see that kind of uh, blossom into a thing where the culture ends up kind of breeding the product. And what you end up at the end of it, and I think this is why the Royals had success on the field, is that the sum of the parts ends up being better than what those individual parts added up to be. They, they get more because the guys uh, really learn to grow that culture and and play for each other and it becomes bigger than just them individually and uh, the Royals have seen some success this decade because of that and I think it's because of that consistent message that's been sent all along and I think what they decided to do here with keeping every minor leaguer um, through this uh, you know really tough time for baseball and that a lot of teams aren't taking it this way I think that's been consistent with the message that Dayton and staff has sent from day one on the job this is the way they do things they do it right and uh, the Royals could be beneficial, uh, could be benefiting from that rather when 
it does come time for those free agents after the draft because people know that this organization is a good organization to play for, that they truly care about their players and are looking for the best interests of those players from the get. Yeah, and like you said, you know, on social media, it wasn't just guys who were current minor leaguers, but also guys who have been through the system and made the big leagues. We saw Chris Bubich, Brady Singer, Nick Heath among a minor league contingent, a lot more guys like Nicky Lopez, Hunter Dozier, Whit Merrifield chiming in in support of the Royals organization. Um, even a guy like Cody Decker, who played for the organization somewhat fleetingly, chiming in, you know, that he really appreciated his time with the organization because of the professionalism and the commitment that the organization had to him and the rest of the minor leaguers. And I'd say, you know, if you haven't read Dayton Moore's comments or learned about what the Royals have pledged to do, I'd encourage you to do so. And, I mean, I'm just going to read kind of the money quote, at least that I took away from what Dayton Moore said, kind of verbatim. He said this, Dayton said, understand this, the minor league players, the players you'll never know about, the players that never get out of rookie ball or high A, those players have as much an impact on the growth of our game than 10-year or even 15-year veteran players. They have as much opportunity to influence the growth of our game as those individuals who played for a long time because those individuals go back into their communities and teach the game. They work in academies, are JUCO coaches, college coaches, scouts, coaches in pro baseball. They're growing the game constantly because they're so passionate about it. So we felt it was really, really important not to release one minor league player during this time, a time we needed to stand behind them. I mean, that's just tremendous. Just the perspective, the long-term view, the appreciation for not just the Royals minor leaguers in terms of their impact on growing the game, but minor leaguers and minor league baseball writ large, especially at a time when minor leagues are going through a period of real change and not all of it good. Yeah, well, I think it goes right into the inside of who Dayton Moore is as a person and the kind of people that he's surrounded them with. They are good people first before they're good baseball people. And uh, that's not to say that they're not good baseball people, because obviously, you know, their track record speaks for themselves with the success that Kansas City has had recently. But doing things the right way, uh, putting people first. Um, and that's the lowest guy on, on your draft uh, depth chart to the top guy uh, in your organization. Doing things for those people as people first and um, as players second, I think, uh, is the way the Royals have done things. And I think that's something that could you know, attract someone who has options after this draft into maybe joining the Royals organization afterwards because they understand that the Royals are bigger than just baseball. Of course, with the draft right around the corner, there is a lot of focus on that top draft choice and who the Royals might choose with their fourth overall pick. And that's one of the many things we talked to Jim Callis about. Of course, we talked about what the Royals' strategy might be, what the draft might look like this year. Really wide-ranging and interesting conversation with Jim Callis. And thankful that he had some time to join us before the MLB draft. Chasers curbside to go is back. On Tuesday, June 9th from 5 to 6.30, come on out to Warner Park to pick up some of your favorite ballpark foods brought to you by Pepsi. The family four-pack costs just $30 and includes two Johnsonville bratwursts, two cheddar cheese bratwursts, four packages of peanuts, four cookies, four souvenir cups, two cans of Sierra Mist, and two cans of Pepsi. Plus, every order comes with a free Omaha Storm Chasers koozie. All orders must be submitted by Monday, June 8th at noon. Head to OmahaStormChasers.com to reserve your spot and learn more information. Baseball fans in Omaha became familiar with his work when he covered the College World Series for Baseball America. Since 1988, he's covered the MLB draft and baseball prospects, and his work on MLB.com is unmatched. We're so happy to welcome MLB Pipeline senior writer Jim Callis to the Stormcast. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Now, I've got to imagine that as far as busy times of the year go for you, this has to be pretty much the busiest, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it definitely, you know, I mean, it's obviously a, a strange year that none of us foresee 
foresaw coming like this. But, you know, I keep telling people, I mean, we're kind of, you know, business as usual. I mean, we're not, you know, seeing players play games, obviously, but we're doing everything else we would normally do. Uh, so, yeah, it's all, all this downtime where people are talking about uh, binge-watching TV and having more time to you know what to do with, that has not been a problem for me thus far. Maybe, maybe about June 15th it will be, but not thus far. Well, Jim, there's plenty to talk about about this year's draft, but I, I think it's probably good for us to kind of start local here. Um, for the first time, Major League Baseball was going to hold the draft here in Omaha leading up to the College World Series. As a guy who spent your entire career around both of these events, what were your thoughts about that idea, both in the short term and, you know, maybe long term if it goes beyond this year? Yeah, I was really looking forward to it. I mean, Omaha is one of my favorite cities in the world. I love Omaha. I've been... Yeah, my first College World Series was in 1987 with the, the University of Georgia student newspaper. And since then, I, I, I didn't go in 88. Um, I was still in school. And then my wife was sick in 2008. But I've, I've been out there every year for otherwise. I So it's, what, I think 31 or two College World Series I've been to parts of, and most of them for the whole thing. Um, so I love Omaha. I was really excited about it. I, I think it would have added – some excitement to our draft broadcast because, you know, the plan would have been that we would have had, you know, players from eight teams there who potentially could have been, you know, in the first round. Um, you know, we don't know how that would have played out, but, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of, you know, good players. You know, if you project, you know, Vanderbilt gets back to, to Omaha, you know, Austin Martin's there. You know, the top prospect in the draft is Spencer Torkelson of Arizona State. They were loaded. You know, Georgia has a pair of first-round pitchers and Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox. I mean, we probably – you know, I don't know, would have had a chance to have maybe a half dozen college players there. And I, and I think the other thing that would have been cool, we probably would have had more players there too, was by having the draft be a little bit later in the college season rather than right after the regional mm-hmm. playoffs. I think it would have been potential to get more college players, even who weren't in Omaha, to that MLB Network could have brought in, and then some high school players as well. So I, I was really looking forward to you know maybe having more player presence at the draft. I think would have been cool, and and, and I tell everybody, I mean, and I mean this, the College World Series is, is you know as many times as I've been, it's still my favorite event, and I think it would have been cool. I, I think you could introduce some people uh, who maybe didn't necessarily know what the College World Series was or much about it. You know, you you could have brought some more publicity to that. Um, um, and I think it would have been a nice lure. I think even for getting some of the players to come, you know, you tell the kids, hey, if you come in and you could be on the draft broadcast, um, you know, you can stick around and watch some College World Series action the first the first weekend. Because, I mean, as you guys know, you're there. I mean, it's a wonderful event. I, I can't imagine any city embracing an event like Omaha does College World Series, and, and it just would have been a very, very fun time. Uh, you know, Kind of my, my two biggest baseball loves, the College World Series and the draft, would have been together. Uh, um, and, and now, uh, obviously, it's not going to happen this year. Yeah, I think the disappointment from that, uh, especially from the Omaha side of it, can be uh, understated. Uh, obviously, it was, it was a big, big deal. And we, and we knew there was going to be probably some changes coming to the draft anyway. The pandemic obviously made them even more drastic. Um, I guess, what did you think of what Major League Baseball has eventually come up with for this year's draft? And how do you think that's going to kind of progress to what we're going to see down the road? Well, I'll choose my words carefully here, but I, I don't like what they came up with. I mean, and, you know, you know I mean, the problem is the, the players in the draft aren't part of the union. There's nobody looking out for them. And, you know, MLB wanted to have no draft. That was their initial proposal, no draft this year. And the union said, no, you have to have a draft. But as long as it's five rounds, basically you can do whatever you want. And, and, and the system they have right now is terrible. I mean, they're, they're – 
you know, the, the first five rounds, there's bonus pools, and there's $236 million worth of bonuses. And I know fans listening to this are probably thinking, geez, that's a lot of money. And it is. But you also have to realize these players, you know, their, their rights are controlled in the minor leagues for six years, in the major leagues for six years, before they have any freedom. And then they get underpaid terribly, the, the ones who make it, compared to what they're worth. So, I mean, like, oh, the, this is a great value to teams. Well, the teams are deferring. Two hundred and sixteen million dollars, or two hundred twenty million of that two hundred thirty-six million, will be spread out over the next two years. So the guys are getting very little money up front, and I'm not bemoaning that. But if you're doing that, I, I don't understand why you only had to do five rounds, and why you have to put a twenty thousand dollar limit on players who don't get drafted. You know, in past years there was a ten round draft, and you know after the tenth round anybody didn't, you know, or anybody who didn't get drafted, either one, you could sign for up to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars with it not counting against your bonus pool and. And the thing that's tough is, you know, for, for these guys who are signing, you know, last year there were 395 players who signed six-figure bonuses after the fifth round. And most of these guys are signing, you know, for $100,000, $200,000, and they're not going out and buying a fancy sports car or a bunch of suits. So they're paying off college loans. You know, most of these guys are college juniors who are on full scholarship. Few players are. And they're, they're using this money to live off in the minors when they're, when they're barely getting paid. I mean, not, not even a living wage, honestly, in the minors. Um, and those guys need that money, and now they can only sign for twenty thousand dollars and you know you, you, it's, it's going to be tough i mean i think you're going to have i don't know what number of those guys will sign the, the almost 400 players who, who signed for those bonuses you know you can you can you can go back to college and, and be a junior again next year but we don't know what college baseball is going to look like i mean it, it looks like you know colleges are also going to feel a, a very dramatic economic pinch we've had some schools drop baseball already you know there may you know if there's not college football with fans in the stands we may not have spring sports so going back it, it's not like you're just going to go back and get made whole next year you, know, you go back you're a year older and, and teams do look at age so if you go back and you're a 22 year old junior and you just have an okay year, you might not get drafted. Um, so I think it puts those guys in a tough bind. And then when guys do go back to school, there's not going to be enough scholarships for all the incoming freshmen, so they're going to get squeezed too. And I mean, I think it's bad for professional baseball in terms of you know basically taking a year off from signing players. You know, everybody's going to sign five or six players and a handful of free agents. And I think it's unfortunate for the college players, and I think it's unfortunate for the incoming college players. I mean, there's there's going to be, I think, a lot of broken hearts of players who. Going into this year, figured, okay, you know, I'm going to sign for $125,000 a good chance to play pro ball. And you may have some of those guys go back to school and not even get drafted next year. And, and, and like I said, I think there's going to be a bunch of, you know, incoming freshmen who are going to find out in August, hey, there's not a spot for you on the baseball team this year. Sorry, I, I guess you can go to junior college. It, it's going to be really unfortunate all the way around. So it, it kind of sounds like it's just one big, giant domino effect in how the draft affects college baseball and then how that affects what players sign and who's even available and who becomes a professional. And I'm curious, when you have teams that are staring down, you know, five picks instead of 40, in the Royals' case they have six, you know, how many of these teams are then going to go out and sign another 35 players to kind of make up that gap between what they normally would have drafted and kind of the rounds that they have to draft this year? I mean, I think on a, on a, on a philosophical standpoint, everybody would love to go out and sign as many $20,000 players as you could. Because, I mean, if you sign 50 $20,000 players for a million bucks, and you get one big leaguer, and you would feel like you'd get at least one, um, you'd be way ahead. I mean, I, I don't think – I don't know how many guys will sign for 20. Um, I, you know, I don't think it'll be the vast majority. It might be 100 it might be 150, you know, which which winds up being you know, three to five per team. I mean, I'm sure some some teams will be more aggressive than that. Others may may sit it out, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be kind of a a free for all, you know. They, it's, I don't think anybody has really a great feel for how that's going to work because the thing is too, like, you know, do you pick? Do you sign with like the most popular teams? Do you sign with your hometown team? Do you sign with a team that maybe is a bad team and they have a lot of opportunity to advance? Do you sign with a team that's really good at developing players? Do you sign with a team you have a good relationship with the area scout? It's going to be very weird. You know, teams, because you know, you're going to have some cases where a guy who, say, would have gone in the sixth or seventh round probably will have 20 teams offering him $20,000, and nobody can offer him more than that. So it's going to be you know be really a free-for-all and like i said i mean that's why they extended the signing period until august 1st to give teams time to sign those guys but you know i think roster management from the college standpoint is going to be tough too i mean you aren't necessarily going to know till august 1st okay which of my juniors are definitely coming back and you know you know i mean i don't know how you're going to you know, no before August 1st, okay, well, I got to tell these three freshmen we don't have a spot for them anymore. I mean, it's 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 going to be really, really dicey. And, and like I said, I mean, the whole, you know, I saw a quote from Ray Tanner, you know, the, the coach who won a couple of college series in South Carolina, he's now their AD, and, and even he was saying this morning, you know, there's all kinds of things on the table right now because of the economic climate, including dropping sports, which is not something he wants to do. And, I mean, that's the SEC you know, the SEC probably makes more money on college athletics than any conference. Um, and they're talking about, you know, possibly dropping sports. I mean, it, it's I, – I, I mean, who knows what anything's going to look like. But, I mean, college – spring college sports might be really, really hurting at least in 2021. So, I mean, the, the only thing that we really know is that nobody really knows what it's going to look like. But I am going to ask you to project something anyway. Uh, sure. So the the draft, you know, will come to Omaha in 2021, you know, all things, you know, staying on pace that they are. When it does, and when we have the 2021 draft, how many rounds will that draft have? Yeah, I was going to say, they've already, as part of the agreement that they already are MLB and they are disagreeing about what they agreed on about paying the players, but part of that agreement, they already cut next year's draft to 20 rounds. As you guys know, there's been talk to cut minor league teams. You know, minor leagues are really, really hurting, and they're probably going to, it sounds like, acquiesce just as a means of survival um, because they can't afford to not have players next year if things are, are somewhat back to normal. So, I mean, it's 20 rounds. Um, I personally, I don't have any insight that this will happen, but I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, I mean, it's going to be a bad year financially for MLB teams if they try to get the union to let them reduce it to 10 rounds next year. But, but as of now, it will be no more than 20 rounds for 2021. And I think, you know, if we're going to have... 42 less minor league teams going forward. Um, we probably are going to, you know, probably, my guess is we'll probably never have a 40 round draft again. It, it may be, and I'll be honest, I mean, you don't sign all 40 players and you don't need to courtesy draft the unsignable guys in the 32nd round or the, the, the son of your grounds crew guy, you know, in the 38th round. You, know, you could, if you have fewer minor league teams, which is a whole other story, you could probably get by with 20 rounds. Like that's that that's probably feasible, but yeah, next year's draft will be twenty rounds as of right now. Well, the the shame of it for this year, especially with the draft, you know, supposed to have being in Ohio, like we were talking about with all those players that might have been playing in the College World Series or at least you know be relevant through the regionals and the super regionals. It seems like when you look at draft board, that there's just a ton of college talent at the top. Is that something that has become more common, or is that an aberration for this year? I think that stuff's cyclical. I mean, it's funny. I mean, you know, we do the, the, the college crops definitely stand out this year. Um, I think some people read into it that oh, teams are going to be leery of drafting high school guys because of 
the circumstances of this year. And I, and I don't even think that's it. I just think the college crop is, is, is especially strong. But, you know, it's funny. If, if we had this conversation a year ago, and you asked me about college pitchers, I would have told you, you know, it's the worst group of, of first-round quality college pitchers I'd seen in 30 years. And I had a lot of evaluators I talked to who said the same thing. Well, this year, it's super deep. That's the strength of the draft is college pitching. It seems like all the college pitchers we were missing last year are in, are in this year's draft. And then there's a good group of college hitters as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, that's the strength of this draft is, is the college pitchers followed by the college hitters. And, you know, like I said, I mean, if you we had had, you know, depending on the teams we're out there, we, we might have had six to eight players in the College World Series who would have been present, you know, in the downtown theater for the draft show because they were there. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. I, I do think you'll see a heavy college first round this year. Again, more reflecting the makeup of the draft than, than any kind of notion that, oh, teams are, are hesitant to draft high school guys this year. But, yeah, there, there will be a heavy college flavor. Well, Jimmy kind of brought this up with the guys that could have been here. And, uh, you know, just looking at your mock draft, uh, the, the most recent one that you did, uh, there are already familiar names for, for fans around here. I think three of the guys were in the College World Series just a year ago. They had a Big Ten pitcher who, you know, fans around here who followed Nebraska baseball and the Big Ten would be familiar with. Um, I guess what do you like about those college players at the top of the board uh, this year as compared to maybe in recent years? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that the three guys who kind of separated themselves are, are Spencer Torkelson and Austin Martin and Asa Lacey. And, and Torkelson, he's, he's the clear number one prospect this year. Arizona State first baseman, uh, best power in the draft, also one of the best hitters and some of the best plate discipline. I mean, it's a complete offensive package. You know, it sounds like he might be, you know, from talking to people, the, the most complete offensive player to come out of the draft, probably maybe since Mark Teixeira in 2001. I mean, I've had guys tell me they think he could hit in the big leagues today. Um, you know, Austin Martin, you know, everybody in Omaha who got to see him win a, a College World Series championship with Vanderbilt last year led the SEC in hitting on base percentage as a sophomore. He's, uh, you know, I think he's probably the best pure hitter in the draft. Um, you know, a little bit of a question where he plays defensively, like there's some mild questions about his arm. Um, you know, I think he's probably either a center fielder or a second baseman, but, but I think he's definitely going to hit and he can play up the middle. Um, and then Asa Lacey of Texas A&M is the consensus best pitcher in this draft. He's a... Uh, you know, you can argue about what his best pitch is because his fastball and his slider and his changeup, I think, can all be well above average pitches at time, and his curve's pretty good too. And he's and he's left-handed, and he's big and strong, kind of that classic six-four, you know, two hundred fifteen, two twenty-pound frame you like in a pitcher. And I, and I think those are kind of the three guys who, who separate themselves. I mean, it's you know anything can happen. I mean, it's possible a team could cut a deal to, to save some money at the top of the draft. You always hear those rumors. Um, but I, I think you'll probably see those three guys go, you know, win the first three picks. The team that sits at number four, obviously, is the Kansas City Royals, and they have a both good and bad history when they've had, like, top five choices. Uh, if you go back a decade, they landed Alex Gordon, Mike Moustakis, and Eric Hosmer in a span of, like, four years. That translated to a World Series championship eventually. And then more recently, when they've had top five picks, they ended up with Christian Cologne, Bubba Starling, and Kyle Zimmer, and uh, none of those three guys probably panned out the way they would have liked it to. After taking Witt last year, what do you think the Royals do? If those first three guys that you mentioned are off the board, what do you think they do with number four? Yeah, I think if one of those guys got to four, then it's an easy decision to probably take any of those guys. Mm -hmm. If they don't get to four, if they do go one, two, three, uh, you know, again, I don't think the, you know the Royals are not afraid to take high school guys. I mean, they took Wit too last year, but I mean, I think it'll be a college guy. 
I, mean, I think it probably would come down to one of three players. I, I think if they go pitcher, and you know they had some success, that they're, they're pleased. Three or two years ago, they had three first round picks. They, they took Brady Singer and, and Jackson Kolar and Daniel Lynch, and they're really pleased with how they've advanced and, and some other college pitchers in their system too. I think they could go with Emerson Hancock at Georgia, whose stuff is kind of similar to Asa Lacy's. He's probably more polished. You know, he's right-handed. You know, similar frame. You know, Emerson Hancock would be an option. You, know, you mentioned, you know, Max Meyer in the Big Ten at Minnesota might have the best pure stuff in this draft. His slider might be the best pitch in this draft. He, he's been, you know, upper 90s in the spring. Really athletic. You know, I, I think he's a definite starter. And they also could go if if they went bad. I could see them taking somebody like Nick Gonzalez at, at New Mexico State. Um, you know, he's one of the better hitters in the draft. MVP of the Cape Cod League last summer. Uh, you know, he, he's a pretty good player too. You know, and it's interesting to me. One of the rumors you hear, you know, like, like usually we're all trying to figure out, okay, what GMs are at what games, and, and you try to figure out who's interested in who. Well, you know, Dean Moore, you know, the Royals GM, his son graduated early and played at Arkansas this year as a freshman. So everybody kind of jokes about, well, you know, Dayton was at a lot of Arkansas games this year, and, and Heston Kerstad uh, of Arkansas. Uh, you know, I, I think that would be maybe a little bit of a stretch at four, but uh, everybody kind of makes the same joke that, you know, Dave Moore <laughs> certainly saw a lot of Heston Kerstad this spring. When it comes to the Royals, I mean, just kind of looking at their, their draft profiles the last couple of years, 21 college pitchers in 2018 with those, you know, three kind of big-name guys, and then somewhat similar last year, I mean, 16, the first 16 picks after Bobby Wood Jr. were all college guys. Bobby Wood Jr. obviously is a position player. So if the Royals go away from a pitcher, you know, Emerson Hancock or whoever else, if they go position player, Nick Gonzalez, Heston Kerstad, you know, anyone else in that mix that you see? Maybe. I mean, I could see if they did go high school, it would be a kid named Zach Veen out of Florida, who's probably the best all-around high school hitter in this year's draft class. And, you know, I mean, I think from what you just said, too, it kind of shows, you know, the top of the draft, you got to take who you think the best player is, and you don't worry about the demographic. And, you know, they've gone heavy college the last couple of years, but that didn't stop them from taking wit. And, I mean, knowing the Royals like I do, I mean, I think they'll take whoever they think the best player is. In my mind, it probably is a college player. If if it weren't a college player, then then it would be. If it was somebody besides Zach Veen, that would surprise me. With the shortened college season and high school season, what have you heard about how that's affected scouting and how teams are approaching? You know, some of the lack of information they may have. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I mean, yeah, it's not optimal, and, and they they didn't get to see as much of players as they normally would have. But teams aren't flying blind as much as people might think because you know, for especially for high school players, because the level of competition they may play in the spring, you know, may not be anything close to pro ball. Really, the, the big time for scouting high school players is the previous summer on the showcase circuit where they're playing best competi- the best competition and you know, seeing college players in Woodbat summer leagues. And yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody wishes we had the extra two and a half months to look at guys that we didn't get. But, but you still got a lot of looks at guys, so it's not optimal. I mean, teams are doing more video work. They're doing a lot of Zoom meetings with players. They probably have a better feel for, for personality and makeup this year just because the players are more available to them. Um, but they actually have a decent amount of information. So I, I was actually <laughs> talked to a few guys, like, you know, next year is going to be tough. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much of a, a high school showcase or summer college league season we're really going to get this summer. So you might not get many or any looks at guys this summer going into next spring. And, and you know, what if college baseball is somehow ravaged? You know, that, that becomes tougher, too. But I do think teams, you know, like when, when everything kind of got shut down in mid-March, I mean, there were teams that were saying – you know, I think the general attitude was, look, this isn't 
you know, what we hope for, but like we have a lot of information. We're ready to go. I mean, there were teams saying, look, if we need to draft, you know, 10 days from now, we could draft 10 days from now. So, um, you know, not optimal, but I think teams are in pretty good shape. I think next year they may be really bemoaning how little they've gotten to see players. Still looking at kind of how this draft is shortened this year to five rounds, you know, six picks for the Royals and, you know, likewise for every other team. So there's not going to be necessarily your 13th round sleeper pick that turns into a major league all-star sort of situation. But I'm curious if there's a guy or a couple of guys that you've seen or heard about that are really flying under the radar right now. Um, well, it's weird because it's like anybody good is probably going to get pushed into those first five. Let me ask you for free. I shouldn't say anybody good. I mean, most of the big-name guys are either going to go in the first five rounds or are not going to sign. I don't think your your top guys are, are going to take $20,000. I mean, one of my favorite sleepers, if you will, I mean, I don't even know if he's going to get drafted because he's a high school kid and he's a projectable pitcher and, you know, the stuff's not, you know, what it's going to be in three years. But I really like a kid named Tanner Witt. Uh, high school kid from Texas. His dad, Kevin, was a former first-round pick and played a little bit in the big leagues. And he's six-six, two hundred. You know, super projectable. Um, you know, usually sits eighty-eight, ninety-two, but he was ninety-two, ninety-five in the final start of the of his brief high school season. He's got three pitches. He's got feel. It's a good delivery for a bit for especially for a a six-foot-six teenager and. I think he probably winds up at Texas, to be honest with you. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if three years from now he's a first-round pick. He, he's kind of a guy who I – like, if it were me, <laughs> I mean, again, I don't have to pay these guys. I, I would try to take that guy in the second round and sign him. But but I think that may just be – he might be a difficult sign. Spinning back the clock a little bit from the 2020 draft, going back to 2018 where the Royals – have now an influx of college pitchers that you see making their way through the minor leagues, winning championships in Lexington and Wilmington and you know maybe Northwest Arkansas and eventually, hopefully, Omaha too. Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, all of these guys coming up kind of as a collective. When we look back at that draft class going forward, how do you think that draft class is going to be kind of remembered? Yeah, I think it's going to be remembered uh, very fondly in Kansas City. I mean, the, the thing that's tricky with pitchers is, look, there's there's always attrition. So, I mean, the four guys you rattle off, you know, Bubich was a, a supplemental first-round pick. You know, all went in the top 40 picks. They, they've all had, you know, good amount of success so far. You know, so is Johnson Bolin, you know, in the second round, too, came on last year. You know, the odds are that all four or five of those guys aren't going to be big league stars. But, you know, if you find a couple quality starters there, you're doing pretty good. I think Kyle Isbell, their third-round pick, is a little bit of a sleeper, too. Um, you know, he was hurt last year but looked really good in the fall league. Even their fifth-rounder, Austin Cox, who came out of Mercer, I think flies on the radar a little bit. I think he's got some upside. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, I mean, that, that has the potential to be one of their best drafts, you know, in several years. Was there a player from the 2019 draft or a pick that you especially looked at and said, you know, you know what, that's a, that's a great pick. That's going to be a really high-value pick for them going forward. Or even just a player that they took that wasn't Bobby Wood Jr. that you think is going to make a bigger impact than maybe people expect. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean Wood was the obvious guy. But, you know, like, I like some of their other guys, too. You know, Brady McConnell you know, didn't have a great debut. But, you know, he's a, he's a guy who can play up the middle and do a lot of things. You know, some of their, their lower picks. You know, Mike, Michael Massey in the fourth round you know, can really put the bat on the ball. John Rave out of Illinois State in the fifth round has got some interesting tools. Uh, you know, I don't think it's got quite as much upside as that. But 18 class, I mean, I, I mean, I would take Bobby Witt obviously over any of those those individual pitchers. Um, but you know, having the three first round picks and and the supplemental first rounder in 2018, you really gave him a chance to to go up, go out and load on college pitching. 
Well, Jim, fans here in Omaha are obviously excited about the idea of Singer and Kowar coming back because they became regulars. I think they were here with Florida all three years that they were in college, and and they won a national championship here. And if you look at your top 100 prospects on MLB.com now, Adley Rushman's in there, Brendan McKay, J.J. Bladé was just uh, here in Omaha a year ago, Uh, Nick Madrigal, Josh Jung, A.J. Puck. All these guys uh, became familiar to fans here in Omaha over these past few years. And Omaha is kind of unique in the fact that, that we get to see these guys before they become stars. And, you know, obviously it's your job to kind of point out to everyone, hey, these guys are going to be the guys. Um, do you think that that's appreciated enough, both here locally and probably even nationally, the, the talent um, of the top guys that get here with the best teams? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my sense is that I think Omaha knows what it has on their hands in the College World Series, and, and there's an appreciation for, for the talent. I mean, even going back to, I mean, the couple of years before I started going, I mean, Barry Bonds was out there. You know, Barry Bonds, I, I think he still holds a record for most consecutive hits, and Roger Clemens pitched a complete game to win in 83. I mean, you can go back to whatever you, you want to look, and, and you can see, you know, big leaguers who were in Omaha. And I mean, you could pretty much look in a year in the World Series and look at guys and say, yeah, those guys were at the College World Series. So I feel like Omaha knows it. Um, you know, nationally, I mean, I, I think, you know, I was going to yes and no is my answer, kind of. I mean, I, I do think the College World Series is still kind of a hidden gem. You know, people in baseball definitely know the talent that comes out of Omaha. I, I think anybody who watches the World Series on ESPN, you know, you, I mean, they obviously highlight that while you're watching the games, and, and you know, when you, you, you can't miss it uh, when, when you're seeing that. But I, I still do feel like it's kind of a hidden gem. Like, I, I tell people all the time, like, if you haven't been to the College World Series, you should definitely go. Well, we're certainly sad that, we won't be able to see you out at the College World Series and the draft in Omaha this year. And I mean, personally for me, I haven't actually had the chance to be out in Omaha. When I do get out to Omaha, where where do I have to go, Jim? Well, I would definitely eat at the Drover. And, and like, it was funny because, well, not funny, I guess. Funny is the wrong word to use. Last year they had a fire, so they weren't open during the oh, College Oh, yeah, World definitely Series. not funny. But yeah, they, re- they reopened in September, but I was telling somebody, the first time I went to the Drover was in 1990 when I was at Baseball America, and Mike Kelly was our player of the year, and there's State didn't make it to Omaha, so we flew them. We flew them out, and uh, their coach Jim Brock was not there. But but Brock loved the Drover, so we were like, okay, we'll go to the Drover for dinner. That was the recommendation we had. And last year, I was telling somebody outside of 2008, the one year I didn't go when my wife was sick, and I mean she's fine now, but I, I couldn't go to Omaha in 2008. Last year was like the first time since 1990, or I guess since '89, that I'd been in Omaha and not gone to the Drover. So oh. it was uh, you, you have to go to the Drover and get a whiskey stick. Like, whiskey no steak, awesome. Oh, Sign me up for that. That sounds yeah, no, incredible. They're, they're good. Well, we, we hope to see you here in 2021 along with the draft in the College World Series, and we hope to see you out at, at Werner Park, too. Got to get you out to, to Werner Park to a Storm Chasers game you know, while you're in town every year, too. I, you know, I, I always tell people, like, you know, I, I'd never been, I mean, I guess it's different, because obviously when I was at Rosenblatt, the team would go on an extended road trip, but, you know, I, I have never been out there. I, I need to make it out there at some point. I, I hear the park's really, really nice. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 I've, I've got to do that the next time I come out. Many thanks again to Jim Callis for joining us this week. He's a must-follow on Twitter. You can find him at Jim Callis MLB. That's C-A-L-L-I-S, at Jim Callis MLB. He'll be on top of everything happening with the draft and beyond, and that includes, Tony, what the Royals do. Right, and right now the Royals are in an interesting spot with the uh, uh, fourth overall pick again. It'll be the second year in a row that they drafted in the top five. Um, and obviously, you know, those are the kind of picks that can make a difference if you make the right one. 
you know, assuming the first three goes expected. And as Jim talked about, um, the Royals could be taking a college pitcher like Emerson Hancock or, or Max Meyer. Um, they also have a highly polished college hitter in Nick Gonzalez, who's been uh, talked about in that Royal spot ever since he got off to the hot start this spring. Or they could take a high school outfielder like Zach Bean with their first pick, and uh, which would be similar to when they took you know Bobby Wood Jr. just a year ago um, at number two overall. Yeah, that'd be if if they take Zach Bean, that'd be back to back years of a high school position player, which would kind of go away from the college pitchers that they took in early on in the 2018 draft. But either way, we're we're gonna find out soon enough. The first round of the MLB draft begins on Wednesday, June 10th. That's at six o'clock Central, seven Eastern. That's on both MLB Network and ESPN. That's pretty cool. Uh, second through fifth rounds, that'll also be on MLB Network and ESPN starting at 4 o'clock Central, 5 Eastern on Thursday, June 11th. Uh, because the draft's only five rounds, there's only 160 total picks this year. The Royals have six picks instead of the average five because of a competitive balance selection. Um, and, of course, that includes the Royals' fourth overall pick. So going to be pretty interesting to see what the Kansas City Royals do with that pick. Time to answer last week's trivia question, which was appropriately Nicky Lopez-themed. Tony, remind us of the question, and also, what's the answer? Well, obviously, we talked a lot about Nikki and his ties to Omaha during last week's episode, and a lot of people that followed uh, Nikki at Creighton might have known the answer to this. I know that you had a few people reach out uh, that came up with the right answer, but our question last week was, what position did Nikki Lopez play during his freshman season at Creighton? Everyone knows he's been a middle infielder for the Royals and that he started at Creighton as a shortstop, but that wasn't the position that he started out in as a freshman. What did he play as a freshman? He was a third baseman. Uh-huh. Uh, Creighton moved him over to shortstop in his sophomore year, and he played short the rest of the way. But Nicky actually was Creighton's starting third baseman uh, when he came in from Illinois as a freshman. So if you were listening and you had the right answer, congratulations. If you didn't, don't worry. We're going to give you another trivia question to sink your teeth into in just a second. Uh, as Tony said, we did get a bunch of social media guesses, and a good chunk of them were right. So I want to give some, some shout-outs. So special shout-outs to Omaha Gal, who had the right answer both on Twitter and Instagram. Kyle Porter and Clint Scholes on Instagram, who chimed in with third base. Uh, Judy Howell and Jeff Tedder, they had the right answer on Facebook. Also, a friend of mine texted me with a guess, so shout-out to you, Matt Newman, as well. Uh, now, we have a bit of an MLB Draft-themed podcast this week, and obviously we had a Nicky Lopez-themed podcast last week leading to a Nicky Lopez-themed trivia question. So this week, Tony, do we have an MLB Draft-themed trivia question? Actually, we do, Jake. Uh, we mentioned numerous times that the Royals have the number four pick um, in the upcoming MLB draft. It wasn't so long ago that the Royals also had a pick in that exact same spot. So this episode's trivia question is, who did the Royals take the last time they had the number four overall pick? And since we talked a lot about the College World Series in this episode, too, I will say that this guy that was taken in that spot also had a history at that event. He did play at the College World Series in Omaha and actually did pretty well. Ooh, that's a really good question and a pretty good hint, too. And it's going to be fun to chew on that one until we reveal the answer to it on our next episode. So the, the question, just, just to be clear, who was the last player that the Royals selected when they last had the number four overall pick? That week, I can, I can word that better, can't I, Tony? <laughs> it was all right. Uh, how, what's a better way to word that? Um, who was the last players the Royals selected when they had the number four overall pick? There you go. That's why Tony handles the trivia question. Who was the last player the Royals selected when they had the number four overall pick? I will I will submit one hint for this question, if that's all right with you, Tony. Do you mind? Go for it. My one hint is that the Royals have had the number four overall pick three times in franchise history. 
So it's a pretty short list, and you got to do a little bit of digging to find it. So yeah, this question might be a little bit harder than the one that we had for our first episode about Nicky Lopez, but we're kind of we're trying to up the ante here, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think this is a guy that Royals fans uh, wouldn't have had time to forget about. I'll just say that. Okay, so if you got the answer right to the first trivia question, congratulations. If you have an answer for the second trivia question, uh, be sure to hit us up on social media. Let us know what your best guess is. And if you're right, maybe you'll get a shout-out on our next episode as somebody who gave us the right answer. So who was the last player the Royals selected the last time they had the fourth overall pick, much like they do this year? Great trivia question, Tony. Thanks. Appreciate that. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Stormcast. Thanks so much for listening. Reminder, you can head back to listen to episode one with Nikki Lopez if you haven't already, and subscribe, rate, and review the Stormcast, whatever platform you're choosing to listen on. You can keep up with everything Omaha Storm Chasers by following the team on Twitter, at OMA Storm Chasers, and on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, at Omaha Storm Chasers. Special thanks to Jim Callis for spending some time with us ahead of the MLB draft, and many thanks as well to my co-host, Tony Boone. So for Tony and the rest of the Storm Chasers, I'm Jake Eisenberg saying so long. You've been listening to the Stormcast.